worthwhile. Let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this week, we begin our series looking at the gospel according to David. Over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into 1st and 2nd Samuel to see how the life of Israel's great king points us to David's even greater son. What does David's story teach us about the gospel? That's what we're going to be exploring. And to begin answering that question, we'll start by looking at an event that actually takes place a number of years before the birth of David. Why are we starting here? Well, the account of faithful Hannah and the birth of the great prophet Samuel lays the foundation for the rest of the story. You see, we might think that the books of First and Second Samuel are, are all about David and the establishment of the kingdom of Israel and, and the line of kings who would rule her. But the story of the Bible is God's story. It's the story of God acting in the world to redeem the world for relationship with himself through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's God's story. And he invites us to be a part of that story, but but ultimately it is his. And that's just as true for King David as it is for us here and now. And so if the central point of these two Old Testament books are how wonderful David was, and, and he was that, well, we would ultimately be left disappointed, kind of hopeless. We'd, we'd certainly be left longing for more. After all, if someone as great as David could fail so often and see his family and kingdom ripped in half so quickly after his death, well, what hope could we mere mortals <laughs> have? <laughs> little perfunctory laugh from my, my little girl in the, the background there. Thank you, sweetie. <laughs> Now, the biblical presentation of the life of the one whom God called a man after his own heart, it helps us to see more clearly the greatness and glory of Jesus Christ. And to see how the Father moved through David and the kingdom of Israel to move forward his plan of redemption. That's also why we need to start with Hannah's story and her prayer. Because this prayer of worship and thanksgiving, it it lays God's heart in front of us. And it is his heart, what he desires, who he is, that lays the foundation for the rest of the story. For David's story. For the story of the kingdom of Israel. And now for the story of his church, of Christianity. And we'll see as we walk through this story that when people stray from the heart of God, things go awry really quickly. So let's give our our passage a little bit of context today. We learn in in 1 Samuel 1 that, that Hannah is one of two wives of Elkanah. Her husband loved her, but she was barren, something which brought on derision from Penina, the other wife of Elkanah. Hannah despaired because she didn't have any children, and so she went to the temple and cried out to God, begging for a son. She pointed out that should the Lord give her a son, she would give him back to the Lord to serve him all his life. Her prayer was so desperate and so fervent 
that the priest on duty, Eli, thought that she was drunk. Hannah cried out in desperation to the Lord, asking that he would remember her. And we read in verse 19 that he did just that. He remembered her. Hannah bore a son, Samuel. The prayer that opens chapter 2 is her prayer of worship and thanksgiving for this incredible gift that the Lord had given her, going so far as to call him the Lord's salvation. The Lord saw her. He heard her cry, and he remembered her in her distress. And then the Lord acted, and so she worships him. Now this context help us, helps us to understand the first thing that Hannah's prayer brings out about the heart of God, about who he is. It's that he's in control, that he is sovereign over all things. It's the middle section of this prayer that really brings this out for us. Verses 4 through 8. And they, and they help us to see why it matters that God is in control. It all culminates in verse 8, telling us that the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And on them has he set the world. The pillars, the, the material and the moral framework for all creation, they come from the Lord. They're His. He established them. And so to, to rebel against them, to reject them, is actually a rejection of the Lord. Now we could look out at the state of the world and think, well, this doesn't seem to help us all that much. God might be in control. God, God's driving the bus. Okay, I can get that, but... Where are you driving the bus here, Lord? Where, where are we headed? I know throughout COVID, I've, I've had plenty of moments like that, right? Just even this past Thursday night as these, these rumors and leaks were coming out that we were going to get shut down again, I, I woke up in the middle of the night and my mind was spinning. You know, Father, we put in all this work so that we can worship together, right? We've got volunteers, we've got check-ins, we've got contact lists, we're wiping things down, we're doing so much, we're doing multiple services, we're just trying to make this happen. And now we're getting locked down again. I just want it to end. Lord, when is it going to end? I just want to be with your people and, and help move this church forward. I want to see people praise and proclaim Jesus Christ, those that, that know him and those that you're drawing to yourself. When is this going to end? Now here's the thing. That's what my heart's cry was at that time. But, but if that's where it ended, that wouldn't be helpful. In fact, it could easily be damaging as that just leads me further into despair. We need to remember the context of our passage today, right? Hannah was in despair. She was in desperate need, and so she cried out to the Lord and asked him to do something about it. She didn't simply complain about her state. Right? That's what so many of our prayers actually are. We just list our complaints, say amen, and then we just slog through the day, wondering why things aren't getting any better at all. Hannah's prayer was that God would move, that he would remember her. 
And this is where the sovereignty of God is crucial for us to remember. When we see verses 6 and 7, we read, The Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. What we're seeing here is that our condition, our status in the world, is in the Lord's hands. Now again, on its own, that could leave us in despair. Like if we're one of the ones who are being brought low, if we're one of the poor, what help is this? Well, it's a help because it shows us that the Lord in his sovereignty acts to take us out of our condition and bring about reversal and redemption. To take what is broken and to make it new again. Beginning in verse 4. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven. But she who has many children is forlorn. These couplets here are images of the Lord moving to change the condition of his people. Right? The image of a barren woman, right? One that Hannah would have been oh too familiar with, right? Now bearing seven. Well, seven is the number of completion. It's the number of perfection in scripture. And so this is the image of the Lord moving to bring about his good and perfect ends to bring life to the one who is barren to bind together the broken and to make it new and it's not that these these things that are listed here are bad in and of themselves that that it's bad to be full or or to have children certainly not but it's a comfort and a warning I don't think it's a stretch that COVID is pushing us to a breaking point. We've been stretched pretty thin, individually and collectively, as a society, even within the the church at large. As we've seen divisions spring up or become more pronounced. We all say we want better, we want to see things change, but we have to ask, as we're saying that, Who are we looking toward to bring that change about? Because this, these couplets, are a warning. They're also a comfort, but first the warning. They follow a warning from Hannah in verse 3 against arrogance. And that is what loosening our grip on the sovereignty of God brings. Creates arrogance. We begin to live as if we raise up and bring low and not the Lord. And that can happen for rich and poor alike, those who are powerful and those who are needy. Look at what I've built for myself. Look at my little empire, the rich and powerful say. Lord, you're not doing enough, and so forget you. I don't need you. I'm going to do it myself, say the poor and needy. Arrogant, prideful hearts plague all people. And so this is a warning to us. That we can quickly find ourselves in this position. But it is also a comfort. 
It's a comfort to those who are in need, which deep down is all of us. <laughs> it's a warning to those who trust in themselves, which deep down is all of us. They show us that all of us need God. The poor need to be encouraged and lifted up. The rich need to be broken of their idol of money. The weak need to be bound together. And the powerful need to be reminded of where true power lays. And those that don't learn these lessons, those that don't look to the Lord, are the adversaries of the Lord mentioned in verse 10, who will one day face judgment for their adversarial ways. But that's not where the Lord wants things to go. That is not the end that He desires. Verse 9, He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Not by might, but by the Lord. The Lord desires to bring about reversal, and we all need Him to do it. Hannah, weak and childless, she needed Him. No matter where you are today, no matter who you are today, you need the Lord to work reversal in your life, because ultimately, the reversal we need is one that we could never bring about ourselves. We needed Jesus to live and die for us so that we could be lifted out of sin and death. The point of the gospel is that we can't save ourselves. We don't have the power or might to bring about our own salvation, to bring about that reversal we need. Just like Hannah didn't have the power to fix what was causing her ills, nor do we. But at just the right time, the Father sent His Son, Jesus, to live and die for us. The heart of the Father is to reverse the curse that we are living under, and He has done that in Christ Jesus. What He does for Hannah here in giving her Samuel, it is just the, the tiniest foretaste of the greater gift, the greatest gift of reversal that He was preparing. Little could Hannah know that her son would one day anoint the king of Israel. Little could she know that in reversing her condition, God was moving forward in his plan to reverse the condition of the whole world. It's why Hannah's prayer sounds so similar to Mary's prayer that we hear in Luke 1. Both of them praise the Lord. Their souls magnify the Lord. For in his sovereign grace... He moves to reverse the plight of all mankind. Working through these incredibly faithful women to bring about His end, His good and perfect end. We can often relegate the sovereignty of God to this theological construct that has no real impact on our lives. Friends, the sovereignty of God is crucial because the sovereignty of God highlights His grace. How in His grace, He moves through people to reverse the problem, the, the, the problem of sin and death that we live under. That He did it through Hannah. He did it through Mary to bring about Jesus. That's His grace. All coming from His sovereign hand. As we long for this grace, as we long to know that reversal, 
Who are we trusting in to bring it? When we look at our state, when we want things to be better, when we want things to be made new, who are we looking to to bring that? Maybe it's not even a who. What are we looking to? I've caught myself many times thinking and saying, if we just had more vaccines, then things could get back to normal. Now, I'm, I'm pro-vaccine. I've said that before. And I'll take whatever one they want to give me the moment they want to give it to me. They could bust through my door right now. We'd pause the service. I'd get stuck. Then we keep going. But the truth is, if I'm trusting in <laughs> Pfizer or AstraZeneca to really change things, then my trust is misplaced. I'm trusting in the mighty who can very easily have their bows broken. The truth is that the vaccines are great to have, no question about that. But they're not going to bring back dead friends and wet relatives. They won't bind up the brokenhearted or comfort the mourning. That's the work of Jesus. That's the work that Jesus does through his church, through his Holy Spirit. Our hope for the future is not in the hands of of a drug making things like they used to be, as if, as things used to be, was some kind of idyllic state to be living in in the first place. Our hope is in the sovereign grace of God who brings reversal. Our hope is in the one who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will that God, how will our Father, not also graciously with him, give us all things? That's not some prosperity gospel nonsense that we're all going to be rich and comfortable if we just sow our seed of faith. That's not the gospel. This is the truth that God in His sovereign goodness acts for His people to guard the feet of His faithful ones. He's the one we need to be trusting in in this time. He's the one we need to be crying out to, not just with our laundry list of complaints, but to ask the Lord to move, to bring about His good and gracious ends. And keeping this in mind, it it should humble us. Because it teaches us that our problems are not going to be solved by our finger-wagging or what we think makes us powerful, certainly not our despair. brought about by the Lord. (laughs) And friends, it's not just humility that that should bring us, it's comfort and it's hope. Because He's the sovereign God of reversal. He's also the God of knowledge. Well, what does that matter? We fly right past this in verse 3, don't we? We hear Hannah say, talk no more so proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. And then she says, for the Lord our God, the Lord is a God of knowledge. Why does that matter? Because it isn't about God knowing things generally. Of course, he does know that, but that he knows specifically. And most importantly, he knows our heart. He knows our longings. He knows our needs. Remember the context of our passage. Always read scripture in the context of the passage. And our context tells us that Hannah cried out to God and he remembered her in her need. He knew her. He knew her plight. He knew what weighed on her. He knew her heart. 
And soon enough we'll read about how God tells Samuel not to judge by a person's appearance. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord, knowing our hearts and seeking a heart that loves him, is going to come up over and over and over again in this series. But in this moment, on this day, let me say to you, you who feel forgotten by God at this time, you who mourn, you who feel lonely, who haven't had human interaction in longer than is, is good or right for anyone, ours is a God of knowledge. He knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your need. He knows your longings. Cry out to him. Don't just list your complaints, Adam. Cry out to him. Ask him to move. Ask him to satisfy the longings of your heart. Hannah cried out to the Lord and he remembered her and blessed her in the most incredible way. We can cry out to our Lord still now. It may, we may not get the answer we're looking for. It may not come in the way we want it to. But since he is the sovereign, gracious Lord, we know it'll be good. And we know he knows us because he's the God of knowledge. And in him, in his knowledge of us, in his grace, we find the one who comforts us. As the wonderful Old Testament scholar Joyce Baldwin summarizes for us, Hannah had an unshakable assurance that her God controlled, and therefore she need have no anxiety. Everything was in his good and capable hands. His sovereignty brings us comfort and it brings us hope because his hands are good and they are capable. Hannah had been blessed but you know what's incredible? In her blessing, she still looks out in hope. She cries out for more. She looks for more. She longs for something even greater than what she had been given at that time. It's as if she knows at some level that what's been done for her is just a mere speck of what our Father can do. It struck me at the end of Hannah's prayer, she prays that the Lord will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. That seems like a fairly unremarkable thing to pray, right? It's a good thing. Pray for the king. We pray for our rulers. We need to continue to do that. But what's so surprising about this? Well, it's the fact that as Hannah was praying this, Israel had no king. The kingdom hadn't been established. They hadn't been ruled by a monarchy yet. In fact, it was her son, Samuel, who would anoint the first king of Israel, Saul. How then could she pray this? It's a prayer of hope. As far back as the covenant with Abraham, there was a hope of a coming king for the people of God, a king who would rule in the spirit and heart of God to steward the people of God in the ways of God that they might be blessed by God. It's a prayer that a king would be raised up who would be a man after God's own heart, and we certainly see that in David. His history shows us a man who hoped in God and trusted in the sovereign Lord to lift him out of danger, to protect him, and to comfort him. But as great as David was, 
He was a flawed man. He had sin in his life. And we'll, we're not going to sugarcoat that. We're going to look at that. We're going to dive into it in this series. And so while Hannah prayed for a powerful king to rule the people of Israel, we can now hope in the even greater king, the king who has come and who rules over us all. The king who has come is greater than even great King David. We hope in King Jesus, the one who still sits upon the throne of David and whose kingdom will never end. The king who brings unending peace and will one day wipe away everything that plagues his people. The king who guards the feet of his faithful ones and leads us on in the paths of righteousness. My dear people of St. Aidan's, where are you finding your hope today? Do you have hope? Because you can. In Jesus, we can have unending hope. In Jesus, we can have unending comfort if we would just receive him. If we would just cry out to him in faith and receive his amazing sovereign grace. In thanksgiving and worship, May we, like Hannah, cry out to our sovereign Lord who brings the reversal we all need and comforts us with the hope of his coming kingdom. He knows you. Jesus knows you, my friends. He loves you. You're not alone. Even now, you are not alone. And one day, he will come again for you. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for your incredible sovereign grace, that in your sovereign grace you moved in your Son, that you might bring the forgiveness of sins, that if we we confess our sins, that you promise you will cleanse us from our sins. You will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness to make us pure like your Son. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us this day and all our days to find our comfort and our hope and our joy in Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you are in control and that in your control you have moved in your love to bring about the reversal that each one of us needs. Move in our hearts to cry out to you again and again. In Jesus' name, amen.